are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Steve Angel. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. It's the week of the 4th of July, and Nick has some family in town this week, so I will be handling the intro to episode 17 solo, and I promise I will try to keep this short and sweet. I do want to take a quick minute to ask everyone listening to please take the time to head over to the show on iTunes and leave us a rating and a review there. It really helps us with attracting new listeners, and we are planning more giveaways in the future, and those winners will be drawn from the list of names who have left us a rating and a review. Also, the Passing Down Traditions segment this week does contain a couple of key issues that I would like to bring everyone's attention to, so please listen carefully uh, to the middle section of the episode, and also have a look at the show notes for some additional information on these topics and how you specifically can take action there. Uh, Now, this week's episode was recorded uh, live at Compton's Traditional Bowhunters Rendezvous a few weeks ago, or I should say was recorded there a few weeks ago, Uh, and Nick and I had the wonderful opportunity to sit down and have a great conversation with David and Tracy Belowski of St. Joe River Bows. Both David and Tracy are fantastic salt-of-the-earth sort of folks, and both Nick and I are proud to call them friends. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode, and I hope everyone had a wonderful and a safe 4th of July week. All right, well, here we are. It's uh, day three of the Compton's Traditional Bowhunters Rendezvous in Berrien Springs, Michigan, and uh, Nick and I are sitting here. We we managed to uh, convince David Tracy Belowski from St. Joe River Bows to sit down with us and chat for a little bit. So uh, I guess it's day two now for, for Nick and I, and this will be the last day for me. I have to head on, uh, head home first thing in the morning. But we're glad to have, thank you all for getting up before breakfast and, and getting out here and talking to us a little while before the tent opens. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Really good. Gonna apologize if my voice cuts in and out or if I cough. I've been fighting some kind of crud. But uh, David and I have been doing our Penn and Teller Act all weekend. <laughs> I'm obviously the one that has no voice and the crazy hair. And David's doing his oh-so-good act of, oh, yes, there she is over there. She doesn't talk, but she's going to pull a bow right out of her butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing is it's a podcast, so nobody can see the crazy hair and well, it's darn. Not, not that's a, it's kind of a shame, you know. I put on my best podcast makeup this morning <laughs> and did my best podcast hair, and we're all good. I, I rolled out of bed and barely made it. So, <laughs> And you look it. Yeah. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> I, had a, I had a real rough night in the air conditioning and a nice hot shower, and Slept like a, it rain didn't bother me either. How about the rain, Nick? Well, the rain was fine. I had the I had the embarrassingly little tent last night. Big six foot four guy in a in a six foot dome tent. <laughs> Sticking out on both ends. <laughs> but it was Big fine. Big guy it's in a little tent. It's exactly what it was. Big guy in a little tent. It was it was it was funny. But no, it stayed dry. It stayed dry. And we had fun. So good deal. Yeah. Well let's let's talk about let's talk about making bows. Um so how did, uh, I guess, Tracy, how did you get interested in becoming a, bo- a boyer? You know, we were wandering around at the Kalamazoo Traditional Archery Expo one, one year, and we were in the compound archery world at that time, and kind of we were, like, curious as to what these weird animals were and how they 
were being used to actually harvest animals. <clears throat> but we uh, walked through and we shot a ton of bows and we had so much fun. The people were what drew us in. These absolutely amazing, warm family people that had this quirky sense of humor. And we met the owner, the current owner of St. Joe River Bows there that day. And David really liked what he was doing and was talking to him about having a custom bow built. Mm -hmm. And I got thinking to myself, well, dang, I do woodworking. <clears throat> I'm crafty. I, maybe I could do that, you know. And he very kindly said, sure, come on over to my workshop. And while well, we build David's bow and hang out and we will see what you can do with this. And, and I'm thinking to myself, dang, that sounds like fun. You know, that's what I'm going to do. So I had Wednesdays and Saturdays off at my job. And Dick consented to make sure he wouldn't work on David's bow except on Wednesdays and Saturdays when I could be there. Well, we got building David's bow and then the next thing I know we were building somebody else's bow and then we were building somebody else's bow and then we were building somebody else's bow and then we built one for me you know because I deserve one sure and so before I knew it I'd been hanging out with him in his workshop for months on my day off and I had a high stress job and there was something about working in that workshop with him on my days off that just made my life better. Everything about it made my life feel grounded and good. And the whole time we're working, he's telling me about how he'd like to retire and how his wife wants him to travel and how he wished somebody buy this company and take it over and, and keep it flying because it was his love. And, and I'm like, yeah, you should do that, Dick. You should do that. And he's like, no, girl, I'm talking to you. Buy this company. That's kind of how it came about. And, of course, my first instinct was to say, hell no. I'm, a, I'm in business management. You know, I was making some good dollars as a practice manager for a doctor. And, and, but yet, there's something so very relaxing and satisfying about taking raw wood and building it into something that you can use and it's beautiful and it's deadly and you make it for other people and they love it and you do it for yourself and you're like oh my gosh this is the best thing I've ever done well and it, it just as I sat down and discussed it with David he was all for it immediately He's like, yes, yes, yes. Was I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was a little hesitant. It was a big step. Um, the economy was not great. The economy was right in the middle of free fall of 2008. And yet, and then my dad uh, was battling cancer. 
and he gave me just the best piece of advice ever. And he said it was the things that he had not done that he regretted. Mm-hmm. Not the things that he'd done and failed, but the things that he had been too scared to try that he regretted that. And and David and I really took that to heart. We do today for everything we do now. You know, it's like, well, shoot, we should go do this because you're only going to have maybe one chance to ever do it. So why wait? Exactly. Exactly. Um, Dad's advice has um, helped us to just be bold. And so we are. Well, and I would imagine it's, uh, it's probably just more rewarding from the perspective of instead of I would think if you were a, a practice manager with a, a doctor's office, the people that you would typically deal with either one didn't feel good to begin with, or were just not in a good mood about having to pay their, their doctor bill. And, and here, I'm sure you deal with people that that at times are not happy, but for the most part, I would think it would be more rewarding. You know, to see. honestly, the the traditional archery community is such a positive community, mm-hmm. and while you will have your negative Nellies occasionally. Um, or, or someone that you're not quite able to click with, for the most part, they are such a good, hardworking, honest, good people um, that it's a joy to work with almost all of them. And quite frankly, I didn't have that in my past job at all because a good deal of my job as a practice manager was wrangling money out of the insurance companies. Oh, and that's all <clears> fun, <throat> I'm sure. Boy. Good <laughs> grief. Sometimes it felt like I was being drugged through a knot hole backwards. Uh, you know, I'd, I, and you could just, it was, it was just ridiculous. And, I, and, and it's become much, much worse now. So I'm so very grateful I'm out of it. Well, and we've seen... I mean, and I know firsthand, so many people light up when they get your bows. And I know that you like to give them personally to people, if you can. And mm-hmm. so that's got to be like night and day. It, it is, especially it when, is. you know, so many of the local and get chances to do that, whether we schedule it at an event or they're close enough that, like, this next week we're going to be having a customer coming and picking up their bow. So it's that personal touch with the customer um, one of our things we say is the St. Joe River customers are actually family. Mm-hmm. You know, we stay in touch, we visit, we see each other, you know, we see them, they give hugs, and, and that's the type of relationship we want with our customers, family. Well, you know, as we've taken the company from what we purchased, which was just making some adult bows, and added bows for virtually everybody in the family, right from the teeny weenies on up, and that truly did make it like a family. And, well, and I was going to bring that up because I know um, a lot of the boyers, there's a, there's a few boyers out there that make kids' bows. The challenge that, you know, I've talked to other boyers where they have with the kids' bows is it's just as time-consuming and for all intents and purposes, it's just as costly to build a youth bow as it is an adult bow. And a lot of times parents, mm-hmm. I can't spend that much money for a kid. But you guys just really seem to love making the bows for the kids and you, you, you produce a lot of them. Well, thank you. It's, you know, we've, we've tried to keep them cost effective for the families use, doing the trade-in and trade-up program so that, and it, we know that that 
that $150 purchase of a youth bow seems like, especially if you're, you're a family that has three or four kids, that can be prohibitive. But if you know that you're going to be able to trade that bow back in and get $75 off the next bow and still keep the kids shooting and happy, um, and, and actually, that trade-in and trade-up program was David's idea. I can't take credit well, for that. Tell us, tell us about the trade-up program, just so the listeners know. What well, that. what it is is you, they get the bow. It's one hundred and fifty dollars, like Tracy said, and they use it for as long. But as that kid grows, or the, they need move up from maybe the forty-six to the forty-eight, or whatever it may be, they can bring as long as the bow is a good, serviceable condition. We'll take that bow back. They'll get $75 credit towards that next bow, and it keeps them shooting. It, and that'll even progress into what we call our interim bows, too. So that $75 can go for that, and then that money, half of that money, actually, and any bow that we build that's 35 pounds or under is available for that trade-in, trade-up program. So the kids can grow into something that at some point then be a big enough, heavy enough bow for hunting with. And it allows you to turn around and put that youth bow back in the hands of another yep, kid. Exactly. At, it, nice. at a little discount. reduced price as or, well. Or a lot of kids, because some of those bows have come into Bub's hands, come into the MLA's <laughs> hands, and, and true. We, true. we use them a lot in the MLA program. And, you know, I think that's one of the, just from an observation standpoint, I mean, not only have you become the family bowyer, but you guys, are, you guys support so many different organizations, and you're always around. And I think that really that really helps you out too, right? And you can tell you really enjoy it. it you know? It's one of those things where when you see whole families out shooting together, and every single one of them is carrying a bow that we built. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that is so gratifying to. And, and, of course, in the last several years, we've really seen a lot of the organizations, MLA, Comptons, um, Michigan Bowhunters, um, become family organizations. They are, these are welcoming organizations where you can bring your kids in. They're all running around. They're all having fun mm-hmm. like kids in a safe outside. environment. Mm-hmm. And the kids are shooting the bows, and they're getting it. They're not, I mean, I haven't seen a single kid walking around with a dang iPhone in his hand all weekend here. Unless they're taking pictures. They're sitting there playing games on it. But that's, that's the blessing of archery mm-hmm. right there. The kids get these bows in their hands. And MLA is so, so good at doing this, recruiting whole families out of a city situation where they've never had any exposure to archery. And the kid gets the bow in the hand, and you can see the hesitancy at first. And they're like, oh, I don't know. This is just beyond me. This is just going to be hard. And then they find out it's not. And then they find out not only is it not hard, but they can do it. And they can do it good. And they're popping balloons and they're hitting the targets. And, and the smile they're, just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it's almost like they come alive right in front of you. So at these 
organizations that like where we're at the, this weekend here at Compton's, the kids are kings. I'm and then we've got the big youth event yep. coming up uh, yes. today, which will be a couple of hours long. And mm-hmm. I, 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 do you know the numbers of kids that go through that? I it's do in the not. Hundreds. It, it is in the hundreds. It is in the hundreds. It is in the hundreds. And, and the neat thing, too, with Compton, too, in that event, every kid who is there walks away with some sort of gift, some sort mm-hmm. of thing yep. for doing it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they will just get there, shoot the bows, get some attention, and then they leave. But they're also walking away with and that's some it, no sort cost. of reward. No yep. cost no. to them, no, no cost it, to their parents. And I can tell you that like the, when we do the GLLI and we do our Youth Silver Arrow, we get about <laughs> 85 kids. There's easily, come to think of it, got to be double here yeah. for that. Well, it's, it's, it's a bigger it's event. But 200 kids. It's, yeah, they're, it's, they're it's figuring big. at least 200. Yep. Yeah. And speaking of that, you know, um, I've noticed, and I don't know if you have, Tracy, but there has been influx of lady shooters. Oh, and, good grief. And, and, and girls yes. shooting. I And I've noticed it a lot the last four years. But if you want to speak to that a little bit, because you're making a lot of bows for, for ladies now. Honestly, it is a huge huge portion of our business and and i think that's probably they just kind of gravitate toward me towards me as a boyer because they're comfortable with talking to another chick about it but the ladies coming into archery is has just it, it used to be okay way back way back i'm going to date myself a little bit so the way back and we're in the way back time machine and <clears throat> I would come to these show, shows or shoots with David, and I might shoot all day and maybe run into maybe one random other female. And, and you know, we'd see each other from a distance and go, hey, girl, hey, hey, <laughs> you know. And you'd be like, oh, it's another female. I didn't think there was any left on the planet. I was here all alone. And <clears throat> it's not like that anymore. <laughs> There's chicks everywhere. There's chicks everywhere. They are into it. They aren't just hanging with their bud, you know, or their their guy. And the whole families are here. And I think a lot of that has, you know, been driven by the popularity of movies, video games, uh, TV shows that have, um, you know, perpetuated archery. Um, But at the same time, the the empowerment that they feel from archery is what keeps them here. Well, you know, they're, they're in Tupi, I think a lot of people are, and a lot of ladies, a lot of families <laughs> are trying to find a place that they belong, an organization that they can belong, a group that they can belong to and feel good about being part about, such as the MLA or the Compton. And they they're draw looking the for families the community. in and the community in, and they can be out there and enjoying it and doing it and being successful at it. But well, we have lots of single good. moms out here now, single moms mm-hmm. with their kids, and they feel real comfortable here. And that is, uh, is so huge. And then the kids come in and they get male role models, female role models, they get community role models, and they feel personal success with their bow and arrow. Now they get to see that if they put in a little hard work, they can have all the success on for themselves. I mean, team sports are wonderful. Don't get me wrong. They teach how to work together. They teach how to communicate. 
etc. But archery teaches that if you have some work ethic, and it's not hard work, it's fun work, that you will succeed. And you will have fun succeeding because of that. So, and, and that translates really well into a lot of areas of life where, um, whether it be schoolwork or whether it be a job or whether it be even sometimes um, just being able to rely on yourself and not feel like anybody else has to do for you. And there's so, and there's so many other dynamics there too. And we, uh, we were talking to a, a knife maker several weeks back and he brought up an interesting point. It really translates to archery too, is getting kids in archery, not only do they have fun, but by the nature of the sport, they're going to learn discipline. They're going to have to learn responsibility because yes. as long as they're, you know, as long as they're, they're, they're under adult supervision, and sometimes you have to use that word loosely, <laughs> adult supervision. But, you know, they, they, they do have to learn that there is a cause and effect. You know, they're, they're, they're shooting a weapon, and it teaches them some responsibility. Responsibility that a lot of these kids wouldn't have if they didn't have interaction with a... It's a dangerous implement if it's used incorrectly. And it, I think it makes a big difference as the, as the kids... Well, and, and, with that, that level of responsibility. By that nature, the world we live in is a dangerous place. So you have to learn to interact with some things that are slightly dangerous. Driving a vehicle down the road can be a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. So if we learn on a small level how to be responsible, how to follow the rules how to <clears throat> pay attention, all of those things. All those things are good tools for living in the difficult world we sure. live in. Absolutely. I'm going to go back to some of the um, discussion around women in the sport. Um, and I'm going to flip this back on you too, Dave, in a minute. But okay. when, when you, it, it is still a male-dominated sport. And that's, you know, that, that's, I think it is probably seen in, and I'll even tell you, my wife at one point saw it as more of a masculine sport. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a big misconception, but being the only, um, we'll just say, I know there's other female boyers, but being the only real nationally or probably even world recognized professional boyer as doing this as a, as a living. I mean, what's, what's that like from both from the perspective, you kind of mentioned what it's like from a you know female customers because, but you know how do you feel? How do you feel accepted from the men as being? Uh, and what are what have been some of the the, uh, the the fun things you've encountered? Because I'm sure they have well, they've happened. Well, honestly, I'd been doing this a couple three years before I even found out I was the only female that owned her own company making her own bows. Right, and. And back, and at that point, there weren't other chicks building bows that, that there are now. But, Lord, I said chick again. <laughs> Good God. I'm going to go, man, that's all she says. But anyway, but to me, that just was sauce on top. Because that's just 
that's just the type of person I am. But um, to build, to do something that that the guys didn't think I could do. And when we first started the company, and first started, I should say, taking the bows around as a company to the shows and all. <clears throat> Everybody'd walk into the booth and walk up to Dave. I was getting ready to say, what? every single one, every single one, and it was so funny. And there had to be some little personal satisfaction there too, though, wouldn't it? There really, you know, and and, and honestly, and this is gonna, this doesn't reflect real great on me, but the first couple shows, I I really didn't put myself forward because I was not confident in how my product was going to be received if people knew I was the builder. So I would just kind of let him take the lead. Now, how long has that been? I'm sorry. It's been almost 10 years now. And 10 years ago, it was really a male-dominated sport. It really was. Yes, it was. So, and yes, there are, there have been a lot of times that when somebody finds out that I'm the bow builder, they walk right away. There's <laughs> not, just not, no doubt not, about it. Not, not like so, it doesn't happen hardly ever anymore. Back then it did. We had this wonderful article that came out in, in uh, Traditional Bowhunter magazine. They did such a nice interview with me on, and it was our third year in business. And <clears throat> So we had that beautiful article came out. I was really nervous about it. Our sales tanked that year when people found out, they really, really found out I was the boyer. Wow. Really? Yeah. We, we, we had a tough year. But you know what? It came back. And not only did it come back, but it came back with a war because people then just went, Oh, so what? So what? And the, mm-hmm. the, the women coming into the sport, they are very good, loyal customers to me. I love them. And the guys, we do a lot of whole families. And it's all water under the bridge now. It's, it's just all good. Very interesting. And Nick, I know you shoot a St. Joe. I do, and my whole family does. Both girls, uh, Jess. Jessica just got her second bow. I got my second bow this year. Um, And yeah, we're we're definitely a St. Joe family. Have have been for a while now. And my wife, Lori, got her first bow last year. Has it been two years? Two years ago. Has it been two years? Anyway, well, anyway she, had, she yes, shot it here last year, so this would be last year. So she had had it for a while at um, that point. So. Oh, and it's a pretty baby too. Oh, she loves that. <laughs> and, and and she every time she uh, hangs it up at the local shoot, you know, after we finish shooting, she'll hang it up, and there's always people that come by and they're they're looking yeah. at it. It's just, uh, and I should say, Lori's bow is ebony or black and white. It's and it's black it's diamond striking. wood. And white phenolic, and it's just it is. It's very, um, it's a very graphic type of bow. And Jess's bow that I just finished—that's gorgeous. Oh my gosh, that was so beautiful. Waterfall babenga, mm-hmm. and some people are going, "What?" 
oh, it's great. And well, look it up. Highly, highly waterfall fig- Babinga. It's yeah, awesome. And it's what it is. It's figured, highly mm-hmm. figured Babinga wood. It's so, just very beautiful. You know, um, and that, that bow was just so much fun to build. But um, honestly, though, your phoenix, mm-hmm. that, that bow um, brought me to tears a couple times because, you know, as I was <clears throat> building that, you know the um, the wood, in particular, um, that curly hickory that my mom had helped me find, mm-hmm. and and then she passed away just as we were building your second bow, and I'm absolutely sure that I'm never going to find that kind of beautiful curly hickory again. I'd never even heard of curly, curly hickory. Before. It is really tough to find because hickory is just not subject to that kind of patterning. So, you know, it's one of those things. So, um, But somehow that day is, is uh, I was shopping for the wood. Um, mm-hmm. And, and just to give you a little bit of backstory for that, um, my first bow, Dusty, at GLLI a couple of years ago, I left it in the car strung in really bad heat. And it ended up forming, forming clouds under the glass. The glass lifted a little bit. And unfortunately, I, we weren't able to salvage that bow, though Tracy tried so hard, but I was heartbroken. Well, that had that curled hickory. And um, when Tracy built my second bow to replace Dusty, and the reason why it's called Phoenix is because we wanted a phoenix rising from the ashes of something bad happening. Um, Tracy, uh, yeah, your mom found the, si- or not your sister, found the same piece of wood. It was just it. so similar. And yep. we had that, that, the first piece of wood that I found that my mom went, it was the first time she'd gone wood shopping with me. My mom's this tiny, she was this, just this tiny little genteel lady, and she's dragging this big board of hickory across the wood shop at me, and she's just stumping along with it, and she goes, she goes, I don't know what it is, but I like it. <laughs> and so as I go up there wood shopping, and mom had just passed away, and my sister Gayla went with me because I just couldn't face shopping without mom, and... It was almost like this odd replay mm-hmm. as, you know, and I had told her what I was kind of looking for. And the next thing I know, I'm over shopping the exotic woods and Gail is dragging this big port of hickory at me and she's stumping along with it. And she, and she goes, she goes, I don't know. Is this it? And I'm like, Oh my God! And you didn't it even really and was. you didn't even force me into it. Like I, I think I, I was talking to David or something. And I said, you know, we got some of that curled hickory. We got another piece, and I was like, is that the same stuff that was in my first bubble? And told me the story, and I said, okay, that's got to be it. And it I'm a was, sucker for stories, and I was like, that's got to be it. That's, it was it's gotta be. just um, meant to be. Mm-hmm. It was just meant to be, and. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, hickories are just a wonderful wood to be in a bow limbs. I mean, they look great, and it yeah. looks good, and it shoots well, and it gets good speed, and especially with a satin finish, that gray wash satin mm-hmm. finish on it oh, makes yeah. hickory really pop. Yep. Um, but uh, what what woods do you like working with the most? My absolute favorite's Osage. I'm just so partial to the fact that it's grown locally. 
mm-hmm. how warm it is. It has this just amazing shimmer and sheen to it a lot of times. Sometimes there'll be these random swirls of orange and rose colors, and it just talks to me. But probably because Osage is always going to be my favorite because that's my earliest memories of woodworking in my grandpa's wood shop is watching him work with Osage and the smell of it. Mm -hmm. That you get that smell of the wood and the woodworking in a shop to me um, that that's that's home that was you know mm-hmm. i had but i'll tell you what it was tough being in the woodworking shop with grandpa because you had to be quiet <laughs> i am not a quiet person <laughs> no, <you're> not. <laughs> <laughs> so i had i had i had to learn that if i wanted to stay <laughs> i had to zip it <laughs> Well, um, so I know you started doing the, the painted tattoos on the vase um, fairly recently. I mean, a couple of years or so. Actually, I've been doing those all along. Almost all along. I really, really have. Mm-hmm. You started pushing them more. I did. Okay. Because I know yours has the phoenix tattoo. Mine has the phoenix. My, the first one I got, my wife actually has two penguins that look like a heart because it was I bought it for her our anniversary, and that was her first ball. That was such a good it. idea for a tattoo. Mm-hmm. You know, all his idea. You know, and her, her actually, her very first bow, she did the first tattooing. Really? Her very oh, first mm-hmm. bow for herself, she did her own tattooing. And it's progressed. And you think back, and there's some pictures on our website and some on Facebook, but some of the different little things that we've done that have just been, okay, okay, we'll put that on a bow. I mean, she did a guitar on a bow for a guy. She did... She um, did angel wings on, on angel wings. Um, yes. An otter. She did an otter on a guy's bow. He, he was into otters. He liked mm-hmm. otters. Um, the um, a good, good, good friend of ours, Dennis Fora. Everybody calls him Doc. He was a medic. Um, a uh, Navy, he did a Navy, Navy medic, medic Navy symbol. Medic, did the Navy medic symbol on his bow. Um, just the numbers of things that you've done. There, it's, been, you know, I try really hard to never replicate one. So every tattoo I do is one of a kind. I don't. If I've put like the phoenix I did on Nick's bow, that won't go on. That nothing like that on any. You know, it's, there's too many options to repeat. You want those to be one it, of a and kind. And it really makes it, it's unique. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not something you see. You should you should have been doing that a lot longer. Or let people know yes. you were doing it. You a know, lot com- she's done compasses, but on several bows, but they're all different. They're oh, all way unique. different. They're way all different. been different, unique. Because the compass is, you know, this bow is helping me find direction in my life. So. A lot of people, yeah. But we have, sometimes, sometimes there's something small and primitive, and sometimes they're very intricate, like Phoenix. Right. Sometimes there's something that have deep meaning for people, and, and sometimes they're a personal totem. On the boat getting delivered this next oh, week. Oh, yeah. My good friend Denise Glassburn, um, she lost both of her parents this year. Within a month. Wow. And her dad was a bridge builder, so we did a bridge oh, tattoo, cool. which is a wonderful symbol of transition and um, a nice memorial tattoo for her parents on, on her bow. And I mean, who would ever thought I'd do a bridge on a bow? And I, I, I would have, mm-hmm. but it has deep meaning for her. And me. This week on Passing Down Traditions, there are a couple of topics I would like to bring to your attention. 
One is of national importance and has the potential of dire consequences for public lands and waters at a national level. Just this week, Utah Republican Senator Mike Lee cited in a speech and in a series of tweets that he intends to introduce a bill that would transfer all federal lands back to the states. He went on to say that the long-term goal must be the dismantling of the system of federally owned land and the transfer of all federally owned lands to the states themselves. Lee even stated that western states would be better off if they were more like Missouri or Illinois having virtually no public land. As a public land hunter and fisherman, this is unacceptable. Now, I know there are some that believe the federal government should not own these lands and will even go as far as to say the Constitution does not provide for federal ownership of lands. However, the property clause does provide legality for federal land ownership. Furthermore, transferring lands to the states would ultimately result in many states having to sell all or portions of these lands due to the lack of reserves to maintain state ownership. This would result in many of these public lands reverting to private or even corporate ownership, with the end result being public land access would be lost. Now, I know there are some that believe the federal government should not own these lands, and they will even go as far as to say that the Constitution does not provide for federal ownership of lands. However, the property clause does provide legality for federal land ownership. Furthermore, transferring lands to the states would ultimately result in many of these states having to sell all or portions of these lands due to the lack of reserves to maintain state ownership. This would result in many of these lands reverting to private or even corporate ownership, with the end result being public land access would be lost to you and I. Now, I encourage anyone listening that hunts, hikes, fishes, or camps on public lands to contact the Senator's office and let them know you are completely against Senator Lee's initiative. Let your voice be heard now. Let's stop this bill before it even is given a breath of life. Land Tony of BHA stated yesterday that Senator Lee had kicked a hornet's nest, and I think he hit the nail on the head. This must be stopped. We, the public landowner, can stop it. Now, contact information will be posted in the show notes of this episode, but you can reach Senator Lee's office by phone at 202-224-5444. You can also email his chief of staff, Allison Bell, at allison underscore bell at lee.senate.gov, and that is A-L-L-Y-S-O-N underscore B-E-L-L at lee.senate.gov. Or you can contact his legislative director, Christy Woodruff, at Christy underscore Woodruff at lee.senate.gov. And again, these will all be show, uh, posted in the show notes so you can find this contact information there. Now, the second issue I want to bring your attention is regarding news posted on the BHA website on the 28th of June regarding a plan by a developer from Texas to lease 400 acres of wild federal public land currently managed by the United States Army Corps of Engineers to build a resort on Hans Peninsula on Racedown Lake in Huntington County, Pennsylvania. To to discuss this matter further, I had a quick chat with Mr. Donald Rank, BHA Secretary for the Pennsylvania Chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Don and I recorded that conversation, so please listen to what he had to say. 
So on the other end of the line, I have Mr. Don Rank. Don is the secretary of the Pennsylvania chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Um, I reached out to Don regarding uh, the, the issue going on with Hans Peninsula. But before we get to that, Don, what's uh, how are you doing this, this 4th of July and what kind of plans have you got for Independence Day? I'm doing pretty well, Steve. We uh, I have a little cookout with my my uh, parents to plan for later, but right now my family's at our local parade, and I have my uh, 12-year-old daughter uh, on doing some other BHA business for me. She's ha- keeping an eye out for our state senator, so she can ask for his support on a Sunday hunting bill that's coming up that uh, our chapter is supporting. So I'm kind that's, of doing double duty right now. That's awesome. Yeah. And on Independence Day to, to boot, that's great. Exactly. Well, she basically, if we don't get Sunday hunting passed in Pennsylvania, I, I'm going to hear it from her anyway. So uh, she, she's uh, uh, strongly uh, opposed to the Sunday hunting ban in Pennsylvania. So I, I've got my work cut out for me. You know, that's funny. I did, I did not know that, that Pennsylvania did not allow hunting on Sunday. I grew up in North Carolina where they had the, the, the same law. Now, I don't know if it's still in place in North Carolina, but uh, I moved to Georgia in 1998 and was very pleased to arrive to find out that there was no Sunday ban on hunting. So I feel your pain. Yeah, North Carolina just lifted their ban. Yeah. I've, Did they? Yeah. We've been working as a chapter. We've been working on this uh, pretty much uh, for the past, for the, since our board took over in January. And uh, I've, I've learned a lot about other states' laws while I was doing this. Well, you'll have to uh, you'll have to keep in touch with me and, and let me know how that turns out for you. I'd, I'd be very interested to hear uh, what the end result is there. But um, for the purpose of today's discussion, I actually wanted to to get you on here and talk about the uh, Hans Peninsula uh, issue that's going on. I actually read about this on the BHA website uh, and through just a lot of hounding people on Facebook and and connections of connections of connections, managed to track you down. So I really do appreciate you. Uh, hopping on here this this holiday morning to, to talk to me about it, but uh, let's let's hear from from your from your mouth what the issue is and and what folks can do to help out. Well, we're glad you tracked us down. Um, Raystown Lake is basically in between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh in, in Pennsylvania. It's a it's a large man made lake. It's uh, it's federal land. It's managed by the Army Corps of Engineers, and. The Hans Peninsula is a 400-acre tract of land that extends into uh, into Raystown Lake, and it has some critical habitat for uh, for shale habitat. So there's some uh, rare or threatened species on there. There's also uh, public access for hunting for deer, turkey, uh, small game. There's a lot of fishing around there: muskie, panfish, bass. Uh, I think there's some stripers in there. And right now, what has been proposed is a private developer wants to lease that public land and put a marina and a resort on there, essentially sealing off the public land from the access to everybody else that uses it right now and build on what is a pretty critical habitat in, in, in that area. So that that potentially would have not only impact on, on hunters, but also uh, access restrictions for people wanting to fish as well? Exactly, exactly. And, and, and also use up a lot of the resources around there. There's a lot of trails, um, at least some disabled hunters use, uh, have access there. And uh, it would really uh, cr- uh, be critical to some of the uh, 
conservation efforts around there. It, it backs up to a, a, a protected bat area, and there's a few other species in there that are not endangered but threatened. And the type of habitat that it is, the shale habitat, it uh, a, a little bit of disturbance uh, can can really go a long way and bring in a lot of invasive species. So along with the, the building up and losing public access, it's a big issue with some of the uh, some of the local wildlife conditions as well. Now you mentioned the the disabled hunter access. Are there are there any other hiking trails or anything like that, or or uh, camping facilities, there's anything a, like that? There's not camping, but there are trails for yeah, hiking and walking um, at, along there. But there, it's it's um, basically just trail access right now. So you can either get your boat there or you can you can walk through it. But that's about it right now. Sure. So, I mean, and the only reason I ask that, so it's obviously there's, there's hunting impact, but also there's, there's fishing impact as well as potential, uh, hiking impact. So it, it, it affects more than just hunters is the reason I'm, I'm bringing that out. Yeah. It affects a lot of people in the area, local residents, local residents who use that for multiple, um, outdoor access, uh, uh, issues or, 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 um, out, outdoor uses such as hiking and, and, and hunting and fishing. Sure. And um, what's the best way for, for – I know there's a link on the uh, BHA website, and I will share that in the uh, show notes as well. But what is the, the best way for people to, to take action to speak out about this? Well, right now, the, the reason this, is, this has come up is the um, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is updating their master plan for it, for managing it. And it's right now they're open for public comments. So if you go to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers uh, – site for uh, for comments for Raystown and it's a it's a pretty long website it's www.nab.usace.army.mil backslash missions backslash dams uh, slash recreation backslash Raystown but you can also google Raystown uh, Hans Peninsula and you can find the link pretty easily there too okay. so if you, the show notes are there um, and basically if you can put if people put in their comments that they are opposed to uh, private the private development on public land in Hans Peninsula, that will go a long way to informing uh, how they develop their master plan and what the, the land usage will be. Uh, this is the second time that this has come up. It was thwarted a few years ago, um, but just like most of our threats to public land, it's, it's not a one and done. They just keep coming back. So uh, this is our this is the second attempt where they've regrouped and, and have uh, tried to come at this again. So, uh, it was 2016, I believe, was the last time there was the master plan issue, and it was denied. But uh, they're now have a little. They, now they, they've come back again with this. Okay, yeah, it pays to it pays to stay vigilant. Well, yes. Don, I will make sure that I include that uh, that link because, like you, that link because, like you said, it is rather lengthy. But I will make sure it's in the show notes. And I really do appreciate you taking time out this morning to hop on and and bring everyone's attention to this. I really I, I appreciate the time. I appreciate you giving us a little bit of a voice and be able to reach some people. And if anything anything like this comes up in the future, please do not hesitate to reach out. That's what I have this this little short segment in the middle of our podcast for. And I would really love to 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 hear about your your daughter's interaction on the the Sunday hunting bill. So you'll have to follow up with me on that as well. I'll be sure to do that. All right. Thank you so much, Don. Go enjoy your Fourth of July. Thank you. Happy Fourth to you. 
Well, there you have it, folks. That was a lot of information to cover this week in just a few minutes. So I will leave some additional links in the show notes for anyone that wants to look into these two issues just a little bit closer. And I encourage everyone listening to take action on these two matters by contacting the respective parties and letting your voice be heard. All contact information mentioned in today's segment will be listed in the show notes for easy access by you, our listeners. Thank you in advance for your efforts. And now let's get back to David and Tracy Belowski of St. Joe River Bows. All right, so we're going we're gonna to give your voice a, a rest for just a minute because David thought he was off the hook, and I'm going to come back to him now. So, David, when especially early on, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously a lot of people know you guys now, but early on, what was it like being in the, in the booth and having all these guys come up and start talking to you about being the boyer and then getting to say, well, you need to talk well, to yeah, they need to. T- yeah, <laughs> you know, it was interesting. It was fun. You know, I should say it was fun. And like I said, the first year we really didn't push that a lot. And she just, you know, just seemed the way it went. And, you know, because we do both work together. Um, I, mm-hmm. You know, I do this to help her out. Besides, I do have my regular job that I go to day, every day. But, um, it really didn't, you know, it was fun. It was interesting. And I didn't mind, you know. And I was actually happy and proud to say, hey, she's the one that's actually building the bows and get that look. Oh, really? But, um, and, and I will say that is, that is one thing that um, when I first met you guys, I didn't know that. But as soon as I found it, it's like, wow, this guy is really you're supporting of each other which is really really cool he's Um, way too humble he does so so much for the company the bow building he takes the lead on the thunderbird company for sure um it's you know um i i take way too much credit well and i want to come back to the thunderbird because i was going to mention that um so tell us, tell us a little bit about what 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 roles or, or what do you do within the company? I mean, everything from, I do a lot of the rough cutting. If we're cutting our own laminations for the bows, which the cores and I do, I do all that. Um, I do sanding, just helping um, projects that she needs. Spraying um, anything, the finish. Yeah, spraying the, you know, I do all the finish spraying. Um, I do a lot of the sanding. Um, and it just depends on the day-to-day process of what we got going. Um, advertising. Advertising, working oh on with the advertising, um, paying the bills, making sure the bills get paid, making sure we get the product we need. Tracy gets her head in the workshop and forgets that there's people that I owe money to. <laughs> are, you, are you more the creative spirit? Yes. Oh, I, definitely. Uh, honestly, once, once, once I've got my head into a project... The world could just, honestly, there could be a nuclear bomb blast going off and I wouldn't know it. You know, my, my, I kind of joke about it with some people when they say something and I said, well, you know, if you want a bow, I could probably build you one. I've never done it. I've never filed. I've never actually personally filed on a bow ever. And I really don't have a big desire to do that. But if somebody wanted a bow, I could build the ugliest bow they would ever see. <laughs> so I was going to ask, do you ever, I mean, obviously you've probably done more and more and more as you as you've moved forward do you ever see getting to a point where you say hey you know maybe, yeah. maybe we could both just build bows i've seen that but this world that we live in you know and maybe at some point when i retire um but you know you got to have insurance you gotta you gotta survive in today's world and having insurance is a big thing so that's why i've you know would love to have been able to walk away from a job and do 
work together hand in hand each day, but just not really a reality. No, it is not. So you mentioned the Thunderbird finish. Mm -hmm. Um, So not only are you a boyer and building bows, and but you're also supporting a lot of other boyers. Yes, we have a. would be three and a half years ago the opportunity came up where we were able to buy the Thunderbird epoxy and Thunderbird finished product business um, and it's been a great addition we I mean we've been using it for many years already um, Tracy had become very good friends with the current the wife of the originator of it and it was just time she needed to retire from doing that and not doing that and it was presented to us. We talked about it and thought about it very well, prayed about it actually. And um, a few days later, and it was right before the Kalamazoo Expo, so it was in January, we drove down to Indiana where it was based out of, um, signed a contract and Off took over that business. And um, probably I would, my guess, and I've never really counted or looked at it, but probably 75 to 80% of the professional bowyers use Thunderbird epoxy on their bows. And it's all the big, I mean, all the major companies use it, such as Black Widow uses it, Montana bows use it, um, Java Man bows, I mean, the list is just zipper. And I mean, the list is huge of the people that use it because they trust it and they know it will last. Well, it was formulated specifically for bows. A lot of, uh, most other finishes have been designed for rigid, non-flexing areas of things like cars or just plain wood even. But bows are a flexible object. They, you know, we rock them back, we release them, they come forward hard. And if the finish isn't up to making that transition thousands of times, it's not going to seat well on a and, bow for a long one, period. And one side has to stretch and the other side has to compress. Exactly. And and if you doesn't do that, you'll get the compression cracks over time. Um, Which most then urethane, opens up the bow for... And polyurethanes, yeah, you can protect your bow with them, they'll last. But after a couple of years, it's a lot of work because you're going to have to refinish that bow because it's not being protected anymore. So, yep. And it has some other uses as well, right? Besides just a bow finish? Um, a lot of, we have knife makers using it. We have um, game call use, makers using it. Um, cool cues is another taxidermists. Taxidermists. Cool cues. Wow, cool I didn't cues. expect I either of those. Cool cues. Taxidermists. You would believe you, you know. Cool cues actually flex quite a bit when you're using them. Is what the maker told me. Huh. And we also have people who make wood bowls mm-hmm. and utensils. Um, the the and clear <laughs> the gloss product is FDA approved. So that's why they can use it on glasses. You know, wood glasses oh, wow. and stuff like that. Yep. And we've got this guy who does etching. He does etching on glass. He does. He's quite an artist. Oh, I wish I could think of his name. He does. He he does these marbles like, and he etches them, and he makes these works of art on them, and then he dips them in Thunderbird. He's just something else. Huh? Yeah. A lot of uses. A lot of uses. Arrow. You know. Then we have our poly poly arrow finish that. 
a great protector for arrows and used for arrows. And oh. oh yeah. So let's. Cool. What about? Um, I guess let's just tell all the listeners. So for anybody that is listening that doesn't know St. Joe River bows, um, what what types of bows? What models of bows? Just give us a high level rundown mm -hmm. of all the different options they have. Nope. Well, to start off, there's the youth bows. Come in 46 and 48 inches. Everything that can suit a toddler on up to when they are a teenager, almost. We have our interim bows. We have long bows and recurves in that line. Interim is a descriptive word. It's not a model. It's just something that's under 35 pounds, basically. And it's basically almost to a full point of being a full size. Um, it comes 54, 56 inches typically. And usually they're a little bit more basic, so it keeps the price more reasonable for that. The family, family. usually colored glass, domestic wood, that type of thing. Our longbows, we have two models, the Torrent and the Classic. The Classic is all that the company was making when we purchased it. That's why I call it the Classic. And the Classic features a longer riser, shorter working limb, has a lot of great kinetic energy. The Classic is a longbow or a recurve. It's more about that long, very 1950s style mass riser. The Torrent is something David actually designed in an idea of having a shorter riser and longer working limb for the big guys that didn't want to have to have a huge long bow out in the field um, to accommodate a long draw to get enough working limb. On our classic model, you have to go over a 62 inch. That can be a little cumbersome in a blind or tree stand. And that's really how it all came about. Was a exactly. on the torrent. The torrents come actually in 50. Well. In the recurve, it's 54 and a 56. We've talked about trying to push, do a 58, but hasn't. Don't progressed. you be talking about things that are cooking. <laughs> There's things hey, cooking hey, in our head hey, all the time. Hey. But, um, He's giving yeah, it right away. Now, right He's now, giving it away. In the recurve, it's a 54 and a 56. <coughs> and in the torrent longbow, it's a 56, 58, and a 60 inch. Um, the 56 will easily draw 28 inches without a problem mm -hmm. so it's, you know and the reason that came about that torrent line is actually i was on a hunt in alberta and not prepared to hunt out of a blind and all we had were the classics and i'm there with a 62 inch longbow trying to shoot out of a blind buck of a lifetime comes in first morning there in alberta and I'm getting set up. I'm hunting in a blind. Of course, Alberta, you know, typically you're going to, in no, late November, it's going to be cold. Right. It wasn't, but I was still in this blind. They didn't have any tree stands set up. And went to shoot at this buck, caught the loom on the blind just at that sec, wrong second as I released. And arrow went high over the buck, and I had the longest drive home of my life. <laughs> That'll so, make you think about developing it, a shorter buck. And that's, you know, and I, I came home and I said, you know, because we'd had thought about it, but really hadn't progressed with it at all. He and had thought like, about it, and I was resistant to change. Went, We're doing it now. <laughs> and um, yeah. that's and it was started off with, like I said, we actually started with the 56, uh, 54, 56 inch recurve. And then I went, well, we're do well everybody wants a longbow. So then a couple of years later, we progressed to the longbow using that same riser design and mm -hmm. progressed into it. So you, you took 
the basic model that the company had when you took uh-huh. when you took mm-hmm. over, and now you've expanded on. So you're actually you've done some development. So they're they're yes. yours. They're they're, mm-hmm. they're your they, babies. They, they are our babies. And yep. you have uh, you have two takedown systems. Yes. yes. Correct. Why don't you talk about that a minute? Um, we have two. We started um, because of our uniqueness of our riser design. A lot of takedown systems did not work. So it's like, hey, a lot of guys want takedowns. and keep asking for takedowns, but we didn't want to do it. We wanted to keep our shape, our design. Um, so we did the two-piece takedown. We wanted downs. a St. Joe to look like a St. Joe. We exactly. didn't want it to look like somebody else's three-piece takedown or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, that makes sense. So yeah. um, the first one we went with, and we still use old, a bunch, is the bow bolt system. Um, it makes the bow tend to be a little heavier, so a lot of guys don't like physical it. Physical weight. Physical weight because of the phenolic I-beam that you have to have to have the strength. Sure. The metal bolt adds a little weight so it makes the bow a little bit heavier so a lot of guys didn't like that um, but it works it's a great system it, it slides together give it a quarter of a turn and the bow is ready to go mm-hmm. um, so then we went okay some guys like a lighter so we researched and switched um, bob mayo of ace archery makes a hinge system and he actually then adjusted that system to work specifically on our bows, giving it a little curvature on the front to fit our risers. So we also use a hinge. Um, keeps that a lot of less weight for that bow, um, but still works extremely yeah. well. It's and it's what solid. we bow. Yep, that's that, what it's on mine. Yep. It's a rock solid hinge. Yep. It doesn't move at all. Yep, and no. that's what we use on our bo- both of our personal bows is a hinge system. Yeah, there's well. pros and cons to each one, mm-hmm. and each one. Uh, some some customers like one over the other. We like to offer both because they are completely different, and uh, for just good well, with the hinge system you got the variety. mechanical hinge that's on the front of the bow that you can see so you're going to have mm-hmm. to cover that with either a rubber grip or a leather grip of some that's sort. the only and i see that's the big difference um although with a lot of people if you want if you love to see the beautiful wood that's on the riser you might go with a full bolt where if you don't mind covering it up with a grip, but that's the only thing on my bow. The only thing that I'm not, I, I love the wood on it so much that I'll hate covering it up with a rubber grip, but it, it is convenient. Super yeah, it convenient. kills me too. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah, I, but I, you know, yeah. And some people just absolutely hate the idea of that rubber or that leather feel in their hand, mm-hmm. so they stick with the bowl bolt. Um, we're getting ready to build another Vice one for versa. a good friend, and that's what he wants is a bowl bolt. Um, because he doesn't like that feel. Yeah, and you know, the other thing uh, that really shocked me when I first got a bow from you guys, when Jess first got a bow, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted Jess to get another bow when she mentioned it, because she wanted a heavier bow, but she wanted, I wanted her to go through the process with you, because that's very special. But the amount of grips you guys have, like, you gave me a box of grips at the Winter Banquet, the MLA Winter Banquet, (laughs) and you're like, pick your grip, and I was like, uh. You know, so I was putting my hands on all the grips and everything and, and Jess did the same. And I, it, it didn't take me very long to know what I wanted because I've been shooting longer. But Jess agonized over it for a solid week. And then Tracy made the Are you mistake. sure it was just a week? Because oh, I think, I it, was think it was longer. She had three out on the table forever. And she's like, don't touch those. Those are the ones I like. And I was like, all right. And then, and then Tracy told her that, well, you can try to put some clay or Play-Doh on there to mold it. So she's molding these monstrosities on the thing. And I'm like, look, you're not looking at a 22 target rifle. That was hilarious. <laughs> oh, it was so. But she enjoyed it so much. But all your options. I went with the uh, the Swagger grip. Uh-huh. The it has a shaved palm, like a, mm-hmm. a flat palm on it. And I never, I never thought I'd go with that grip. 
but my other bows didn't have it. But for Phoenix, I, I you had a bow in stock that had that grip, oh. and I tried it, and I fell in love with it. And that's, that's just one of those things, the options. Well, know? and not only that, you will mail those you'll ship them yes. out because you shipped them to us for, for Lori yes, and they she do. went through Same as it's yes. one of the ways that I can I can fit somebody for a true custom grip via mail and because we do we have customers we literally have customers all over the world these days um, we have bows in Australia and Africa and Germany and Norway, Norway. and uh, just all over the place so uh, we had to come up with a way to be able to fit people for a grip because a grip fitting your hand <clears throat> makes a huge difference on how the bow shoots for you because if the bow does not fit your hand, you're going to be having a tendency to grip it, which can cause torquing issues. So with our bows, each grip is hand-shaped and hand-filed by me. We don't use any CNCing, no machining, so that gives me a great latitude to fit a grip to somebody's hand. And it can be a very high grip, it can be a very low grip, I can do recurve grip on a long bow and vice versa. Some people like to have <clears throat> more beef in the palm, some people want it to be very narrow in the throat, some people want a locator thumb groove, some people want virtually smooth all you name it i can do it I mean, it's a very yeah, I, yeah, I, for me it's not very personal because i'm the straight grip i prefer a straight hill style oh. grip over anything but i was really surprised watching Lori go through that selection process mm -hmm. i would have never thought she would have picked the the grip that she did but it works for her and when you when she explains why it's because mm -hmm. it's a Hers is a, and you, I'm sure you have a name for it. It's a, it's a bulky looking grip. Everybody that looks at it thinks it's way too big, but the throat, it's where the where her where the web of her hand yep. goes, is perfect. She's she's chosen a very nice high wrist grip, and that beef, in underneath the palm, holds her wrist very high and straight. And position the same. She's got a thumb easily. groove that exactly. that holds her hand right up there on the base of the shelf. So her hand is always there at the back of the shelf of her bow, and it's always the same, it's always the same, it's always the same. But the throat is still narrow enough that when she wraps her fingers a bit around the front, she doesn't feel like she's got this big club in her hand. So it's a unique grip. That's that's not one that I do a lot, but it suits Lori very nicely. Yeah. A lot of our customers will choose to customize with the Play-Doh and make one of a kind for themselves. And so want they want a little more palm, a little less, you know, whatever it might be. You know, I've got one I'll be doing in the shop where the the gentleman really liked a very similar grip to what's on your bow, Nick. But he didn't. He wanted something more. And the very front, so that's going to be unique. I've never done anything like it. So I'm like, but that's always, see, that's the fun of this. The one of a kind. I can never yep. get tired of doing this because. You're not mass producing. They're not, mm -hmm. there's not, I mean, the only bows that are similar that I produce are the youth bows. I mean, and yet those are kind of. But, you know, but then there's the fun of playing with kids. So, you know, yep, I can't right. get tired of that either. So, but the one of a kindness of the of this business um, suits the artist in me. 
keeps me artistically satisfied, so makes me happy. Well, I think they're going to be opening up the, the vendor tent soon, so I know both of you will be wanting to get back there. But um, yeah, before, before you go, um, give our listeners how do they get in touch with St. Joe River Bows, the, the website and email and all that good stuff? Yep. We are stjoeriverbows.com, all lowercase, the typical thing. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. Instagram. We moved into Instagram. We're getting to the modern world now. We are mm-hmm. also <laughs> T-Bird Archery. T-Bird, it's T-Bird, T-Bird Archery, Archery for um, the finishes. Phone number is 517-617-3658. And, and do not give me prank calls. I am not nice. But That phone typically is with us everywhere we go. So there's not too much you can't reach us. Yep. And for people that are listening that that aren't yet into archery, we're hoping you'll get into archery. But if you're if you're if you're a craftsman, if you're doing knives, bowls, glasses, we heard all kinds of things that Thunderbird Finish works for, which is yeah. pretty yeah. cool. That was yeah, I, didn't I, I had no that. idea. I knew about. I was trying to prompt you for the arrow finish. And <laughs> okay. I had no idea we were going into to, to pool cues and, and glasses. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> many well, uses. Many many. Thank you both for for taking the time we oh, really enjoyed thank you. enjoyed having you on and thank uh, you for putting up with us and <laughs> talking with us we love you guys oh, God. <laughs> all right well thanks guys yes. hope thank you, you uh have hope you have a, a very profitable and successful weekend at Compton's. it's always good here thank you guys good seeing you